Beethoven is considered one of the greatest composers in history, but it almost didn't happen. And in an op-ed piece for the Washington Post, Arthur Brooks tells some of the fascinating story. As a young man, Beethoven was known more for his brilliant piano playing than his composing. He was composing as a young man, but performing on stage was really his heart and focus and passion until deafness came. And though his hearing rapidly declined, Beethoven continued to insist on performing, often to worse and worse results. In fact, it came to the point that in order to hear his own playing, Beethoven would get as close to the keys as possible and would hit them so forcefully to just be able to hear any type of a sound that often the keys would end up breaking after he had played them. And Beethoven confided to his friends that without sound, his life would be meaningless. He finally gave up performing, but he found new ways to keep on composing. And so Brooks observes that Beethoven became more original more brilliant as a composer in inverse proportion to his ability to hear his own and others' music. As his hearing declined, Beethoven became less influenced by other composers, by other music styles around him, and more influenced by the structures and music that was dancing within his own imagination and mind. And Brooks writes, it's here that Beethoven's story veers towards legend, cut off from the world of sound around him, working only with musical structures that were dancing within his own imagination, at times holding a pencil in his mouth against the soundboard of the piano so that he could hear the vibrations. Beethoven produced the best music of his career and reinvented classical music altogether. And then Brooks concludes with this profound statement, deafness freed Beethoven as a composer because he no longer had society's soundtrack in his ears. Let me read that one more time. Deafness freed Beethoven as a composer because he no longer had society's soundtrack in his ears. It's true that we live in a culture and a time that is constantly bombarding us, coming at us, speaking into our ears. With all sorts of messages, ideas, Things about our value, our identity, our worth. Things that tell us what we can and shouldn't be doing. Things that say this is what you need to do in order to achieve success or life or influence. And on and on, society's soundtrack is playing in our ears. But that constant humming can actually distract us from what is of utmost importance and significance in life. Well, that's what we're going to explore today as we continue our series on the book of Colossians. And we're in Colossians chapter 2. And let me say right off the top, it's not an easy text. In fact, commentators have said this is one of the most difficult passages that Paul ever wrote. So you can imagine my excitement when Pastor Ken scheduled me to preach this one. Well, a lot of the difficulty in the passage is that we just don't know the actual situation and context that's going on here of what Paul is writing about and addressing. And it's difficult to fill in some of the historic gaps and specifics, but I'm going to do my best to keep it simple. And I want us to read this passage in the message paraphrase, Eugene Peterson's beautiful paraphrase, because I think it helps to bridge some of the language and cultural gaps that are here. And Paul writes these words, 
I want you woven into a tapestry of love, in touch with everything there is to know of God. Then you will have minds confident and at rest, focused on Christ, God's great mystery. All the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery and nowhere else. And we've been shown the mystery. I'm telling you this because I don't want anyone leading you off on some wild goose chase after other so-called mysteries or the secret. My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You receive Christ Jesus the master, now live him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstition of spirit beings. But that's not the way of Christ. Everything of God gets expressed in him so you can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, that fullness comes together for you. His power extends over everything. Entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. And then jumping to verse 19, the source of life is Christ who puts us together in one piece, whose very breath and blood flow through us. He is the head and we are the body and we can grow up healthy in God only as he nourishes us. And everyone took a deep breath and said, amen. amen. Love it. Well, just as a quick refresher, Paul is writing here to a church in a faith community that's located in the city of Colossae, which is now part of modern-day Turkey. And from what we can gather, although the Colossian church had once been strong in her faith, all of these other voices and influences started to creep in that had weakened them, causing all sorts of problems. And so Paul is writing this letter to encourage them to go deep in their faith, to start addressing the issues that were creeping up and to point them back to Jesus. And in this chapter, Paul is going to get to the very heart of the problem where these followers of Jesus were allowing other voices and these ideas to come and to influence them. They were leaning on what was out there rather than leaning into the simplicity and the mystery that is found in Jesus. And it seems like there were two voices that were happening within this church, mixing together all sorts of conflicting ideas that were now impacting their faith. And so one of the voices was a religious teaching that was coming from Judaism, which was the Jewish faith. And the other was from a school of thought that was called Gnosticism. Gnosticism wasn't a religion per se, but it basically borrowed ideas and philosophies from all different belief systems that were around. But it was all about attaining knowledge. And so here in this passage, Paul gives all sorts of examples of the type of teachings that were happening and the ideas that were creeping in. Things such as astrology, the worship of angels, circumcision, self-denial, rules, regulations, special diets, philosophy. Just the typical stuff we talk about on Sundays, isn't it? But here's what we need to understand. 
The Judaism part was about the doing aspect, keeping certain rules or traditions that would set them apart as God's chosen people. N.T. Wright, who is a renowned biblical scholar, pointed out that they were following the law, not as a way of entering into God's family, but as because they were part of it, they said, we're going to keep these rules. And so doing things was very much rooted in their identity as God's people. And the Gnostic part was about promoting knowledge. And basically they said, well, if you can figure it out and get the secret knowledge, then it will open up doors to experience God in ways you've never experienced before. So these experiences, whether visions or mystical experiences or all sorts of things, they said, we'll get you closer to God. The catch is you have to be in on the secret. And so it became this exclusive type of belief system that said, if you had the answer, then you could unlock the key to God. This is what you need to know in order to find real fulfillment in life. And so that's what Paul is talking about when he uses phrases such as, don't put up with anyone pressuring you in details of diet or worship services or holy days, or don't go after so-called mysteries or the secret. So there's a lot that's going on here in this passage. And even though we may not be able to relate to those specific examples, I think we can connect to a very similar mindset today. And so if Paul were writing to us in the year 2022 to the church of Vancouver, I imagine he would talk about all sorts of cultural soundtracks that play in our ears and that distract us from the way of Jesus. I think Paul would write that the, quote, Canadian dream for success, that this insatiable need that we have to climb that ladder or to get to that next goal or to reach that level of success, he would say those are voices that are speaking into us and distracting us from the way of Jesus. If Paul were writing to our evening church, I think he'd caution us about the types of expectations that we can put on ourselves or that others put onto us. And that could be in all sorts of ways. Pressures about relationships or about career, about our studies, about our value, our worth. I think Paul would caution us, especially as Christians, that it's not about all the stuff we know about Jesus. It's not about the facts and the knowledge that we've accumulated perhaps over the years. Certainly not about the doing, whether it's reading our Bibles every day or praying or volunteering. But I do want to pause and acknowledge that there is nothing inherently wrong about knowing or doing. Because knowledge and action can actually help us shape and see our faith expressed in beautiful ways. However, if we're using those things to try and get God's approval, or if we're doing those things because we think, well, if we do them, maybe God will like me just a little bit better, then that can actually become harmful to our faith. Ultimately, it's not about knowledge and doing. It's about a relationship with Jesus. Or you can say it this way. It's not what you know. It's who you know. It's not what you know. It's who you know. And that's why Paul said, you receive Christ Jesus, now live him. You're well constructed. You know your way around the faith. Quit studying the subject and start living it. Live out of the relationship and love that is found in Jesus. Not in the other stuff out there. Not in the other voices that are speaking into us. But lean into the love and the grace and the beauty of Jesus. Because it's not what you know. 
to you know. I would say that that tension between the what and the who has been a continual tension in my own life and faith journey. And so I want to share with you a little bit of my story and journey of how this first started becoming real to me and also what I'm learning and leaning into now. The first thing that you need to know about me is that I absolutely love learning. I would express it this way that sometimes it has become an addiction because I love new things. I love new ideas. I love stories. I love facts. I love information. I love all of that stuff. And I've gravitated to new things and expanding my knowledge and experience in life. I've also put a lot of emphasis on doing, having an insatiable need for achievement, for success, recognition, accomplishment. And over the years, I've brought those elements into my relationship with Jesus And I've gotten distracted a lot by those voices that have spoken and pulled me away from Jesus at different points along the way. I like to joke that only a few years ago, when I was 19, uh, I began to discern that God was leading me towards pastoral work. And so without praying about it too much, which is probably the first little mistake, I told myself, well, if I'm going to be a pastor, then I need more education. And so... I want to go off to university, and Trinity Western was a university uh, close by to where I lived, and it's a university, it's Christian, which is probably good if I want to become a pastor, and so I said, that's where I'm going to go, and I went, and jumped headfirst into my studies, and I loved it, took as many courses as I could, and in fact, I ended up completing my major uh, in the first two years, just because I kept stacking courses and courses and courses, couldn't get enough of it. I love the theology. I love the history. I love the language. I call it knowledge on steroids. And I did really well. And very quickly began to grab the attention of my professors around me. And they began making plans for my life, for when I would graduate and continue on. And they said to me, you name the place. We'll get you in. You want to go to Harvard, Yale, Princeton? doesn't matter. You tell us where you want to go, and we'll make sure that you get there. Well, as a 20, 21-year-old, you can imagine, no surprise here, quickly led to a condition that I've called swelled head alitis. Became obnoxious, arrogant attitude. As a theology nerd and a jerk. And I remember I would take my Greek New Testament to the church I was attending at the time, and It's awful, but I remember sitting there being critical of my pastor because he didn't know Greek and I could read it. And I'd be following along and saying, well, that's actually not quite right. You're not following the text as it originally was. And started criticizing and feeling all of this going on and figured I was a lot smarter than the people around me. And as a funny note, this was just such a strange season in life and maybe talking about the doing side of things. During the season of my life, I started tithing 12% of my income, not 10%. And the reason for it was kind of simple. I am horrible at math. And so I thought, well, I'll give myself a 2% buffer so that in case I miscalculate my tithe, at least I'm going to be safe with God and he's not going to get mad at me and, you know, I'm going to be fine that way. It was this messed up way of viewing God's acceptance of me. It's pretty messed up. 
But the point was that I started becoming skeptical in my faith. I started doubting things. I started criticizing things, started losing my faith. And I bought into this mindset that placed value and worth and identity on knowledge. And I could see my relationship with Jesus just start to tank. The what, all of that knowledge, all of that doing, all that other stuff out there kept me disconnected from the one who actually wanted to bring life and fulfillment to my life. As Paul said in our text, entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. Well, it was at this time that two things happened that brought me back to Jesus and radically changed my life. The first was when a high school friend of mine committed suicide and absolutely rocked me. And I remember thinking at the time, here I am studying to be a pastor. I've taken two years of like absolute full-time biblical studies. And after two years of this studying, there is nothing I actually learned that could have helped my friend Rebecca in her time of crisis and need. And I asked myself, and pardon the language here, what the hell am I doing? I didn't know what to do. And then thank God, shortly after that, my dad took me to a conference that he was attending that was simply centered around the message of Jesus. Simply centered around my identity as God's beloved child. I heard there was nothing I could do, nothing I could achieve, nothing I could learn that would make God love me any more or any less than he did in that exact moment. And like Paul's words, you received Jesus, now live him. You're deeply rooted in him, start living it. That simple truth began to set my life free. I began to experience Jesus in a new and beautiful way. And perhaps a bit like Beethoven, probably more so like Paul's words that we read here. I found that as the other voices around me started to disappear, started to go silent, I began to discover a new music, new life that began taking place inside of me. It was the voice and presence of Jesus. And I left that conference with this reality and truth that I don't just want to know about Jesus. I want to know Jesus. Because it's not about what you know. It's who you know. Well, there's a lot more to the story, but I found myself beginning to live from that new place and experience. I found my attitudes began to change. The arrogance began to fade. I could feel my heart softening and becoming more sensitive to Jesus' voice. I could feel my life getting reconnected to him. It took time for sure, but I could feel this transformation that started taking place deep inside of me. I'll also say that it hasn't been all easy or consistent since then. I still find myself in seasons and times where it feels like my relationship with Jesus ebbs and flows. Times where I feel more connected to him and times where I feel more distant. Times where I feel like it's the other voices and influences that are speaking more loudly into my ears than Jesus' voice. Times where reading the Bible feels life-giving. Other times... I may as well be just staring at a blank white page. Times where prayer feels connected, other times feels like prayer's hitting the ceiling and just bouncing straight back down again. 
times where I can feel Jesus' love and can rest in that. And times where patterns of busyness and doing things and other voices are speaking to me to say, well, maybe God will like you just a little bit more if you do X, Y, Z. And I still feel those pulls and struggles even today. And to be honest, I'm feeling it now. We've shared just brief pockets with our UBC family, but this past year, without doubt, has been the hardest, most difficult year personally in our lives. I ended up losing my dad in the fall and still processing a lot of that grief journey. We ended up having a family friend that uh, was murdered this past year. And then our family has been walking through significant mental health issues. And it's been tough. It's been brutal. And so it's trying to figure out with all these other voices, whether that's fear, whether that's anxiety, whether that's questions and uncertainty, voices that are trying to speak into my head. It's a reminder of saying, am I going to listen to those voices or do I come back to the voice of Jesus? And so as I look at my current reality, I want to ask a few questions here that I'm needing to ask myself first and foremost, and then to suggest a few possible next steps. And so here's what I'm asking. Are my beliefs and actions creating pressures and expectations, either for myself or for others? Are my beliefs and actions producing fear and anxiety? Are my beliefs and actions showing a lack of compassion? Am I comparing myself to others? Certainly not an exhaustive list, but if the answers are yes, then I need to re-examine things because it's not the way of Jesus. It's not reflecting a healthy relationship with Jesus. And it means I'm not connecting to the nourishment and the life and the health that is found in Jesus. Like Paul wrote, the source of life is Christ who puts us together in one piece, whose very breath and blood flows through us. We can grow healthy in God only as he nourishes us. And so I need to come back to the who of the relationship, not the what. Well, over the years, I've experimented. I've tried different things to incorporate rhythms and practices and ways to reconnect to Jesus' life. And there can be this fine line between trying to do it in my own strength and wisdom and way, but also allowing God's voice to come in the situation that I'm in. And it brings this beautiful alignment that can happen. But here are a few possible ideas to consider. Take a book of the Bible. Or maybe it's a chapter or even just one verse. And just keep immersing yourself in it. Let Jesus' voice come and speak to you how he wants to in that moment for your life. We talk a lot here at 10th about prayerful meditation. And that can be incredibly helpful to focus our hearts and our minds back on Jesus. Here's what I'm trying to lean into these days. And it's the simplicity of slowing down. For me, it literally means going on a lot of walks. And I find myself slowing down and allowing myself to feel the moment, to be present to Jesus' presence, to allow his love just to surround me, to enjoy that, 
to not have to figure things out and to immerse myself in there. I don't know about you, but I know when I'm super busy, when I'm running around, when I'm having all of these thoughts and voices that are coming at me, when I have the soundtracks of society coming and trying to get my ear, I need to intentionally slow down and let those things become deaf so that I can open myself up once again to Jesus' voice. For just a few moments here as we close, I want to invite you to slow down and to silently sit in this question. Where might you reconnect to Jesus today? Where might you connect and reconnect to Jesus today? What are the sounds, the voices, the influences that need to be silenced in your life so you can hear Jesus in a fresh way? I want to encourage you, and we're going to take just a couple minutes here to take some time and to reflect on that question and to ask Jesus what he might be inviting you towards in a relationship with him.